crying, bro, just crying out to God, bro. Um, man, it started off with just like, all I saw was just this darkness. And I saw this tiny, tiny little fireball just making its way through the darkness. And the closer it got, the brighter everything got. And the fire was, the fire was overtaking the darkness inside of me. Hey, my friends, good day and welcome to another episode. On behalf of Disciple of City, I'm Todd Carlton, and this is the Toddcast. We are talking to everyday people about how Jesus radically changed their hearts and hearing their stories on how they've been able to share the gospel. And my guest today originally hails from St. Lucia, and he's been living in the Peterborough area for several years now. He's a welder by trade, welding hearts back to the Lord. Please welcome Joshua St. Croix. It's pretty cool, man. Thanks for having me, bro. Hey, thanks for coming, brother. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's good to see you, man. Yeah, good to see you too, man. It's been a while. And I know you're really busy. You got a move going on and stuff, so I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to come in and share your story. Yeah, don't worry. I'll send you the invoice. <laughs> <laughs> Man, um, St. Lucia, man, can you, um, the podcast has been very blessed, man. We've got people listening actually from a lot of different countries. So can you put St. Lucia on the map for us? Well, I mean, you want to know where St. Lucia is exactly? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, St. Lucia is like, um, it's pretty close to Barbados, uh, St. Vincent, uh, just in that area there, right? Um, West of the Indies, right? Right. So, um, I don't know. St. Lucia is a beautiful little island, you know, um, if you're into uh, tourism and whatnot, you know, um, St. Lucia is the place to be, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, for me growing up, St. Lucia, St. Lucia was everything until, you know, I get yourself into some trouble and <laughs> St. Lucia is no longer home. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So can you share with us what it's like growing up in St. Lucia? Cause like you say, those, the, the, the island, St. Lucia, St. Vincent, St. Croix, all that St. Mm-hmm. Thomas, very tourism. So for a lot of us, you just see the tourist aspect of it. So what what was it like actually growing up there for you? Yeah, well, a lot of people, when they go to St. Lucia, right, you, you get to see uh, the resorts, right? Um, they don't really take you into um, into the little holes, right, uh, to kind of see how the, the locals are living. Um, growing up in St. Lucia, um, my mom had the two of us, my sister and myself, um, single mom, uh, trying her best uh, to give us everything that uh, she can, right? Um, St. Lucia, St. Lucia, to me, in my opinion, St. Lucia is uh, one of the best islands. And anyone would tell you their island is the best, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> sure, right? Yeah. But no, um, like I said, it's beautiful, always sunny. Um, I would give anything to, to be in St. Lucia right now. But you know what? I am thankful for where uh, the Lord has me right now, you know? Um but yeah, growing up in St. Lucia, um, I had a rough life, you know, um, got myself into some serious trouble um, at the age of uh, 16, uh, started smoking weed and um, started hanging around with the wrong uh, set of guys, you know, and um, by doing that, um, one thing led to another, you know, um, so some people know this and shed a little bit with you, you know, um, I used to gang bang, you know, I was like uh, a member of a crew, and it was a crew of uh, just the three of us, you know, and uh, it was called the Death Squad. <laughs> yeah, um, the Death Squad, why? Because um, everywhere we went, um, people were just uh, terrified, 
You know, uh, when they see the three of us, people will just like, it's almost like you're walking into, into a room and everyone is just like, you know, just giving you weight. It's almost like when the spirit of God walks into a room and you kind of just humble yourself. Mm. Right. So that's kind of how it was. Right. Um, and man, <laughs> let me tell you, man, I've seen, um, I've seen some pretty tough stuff in St. Lucia, um, witchcraft, um, to, to seeing like my, my, my two best friends, you know, um, watching them lying in the ground and taking the final breath, you know, um, was pretty tough, you know, as a child. And, um, that installed uh, a lot of anxiety, and um, I didn't even know that I was suffering with anxiety until I came here, and um, my doctor pointed it out, right? But, um, so going back to uh, gang banging, you know, um, at the age of 16, um, I dropped out of uh, high school and uh, started smoking dope with those guys, and um, my mom kicked me out of the house, and I went to live with my grandma. And um, was I'm living with my grandma, you know, getting into smoking weed and selling dope, uh, from selling dope to selling cocaine and, you know, just a little little stuff at a time, right? And then next thing you know, I'm moving into selling pounds of marijuana to bricks of cocaine and, and all that kind of stuff, right? And um, I was young, 16, 17, and I'm touching all kind of cash, you mm. know, um, robberies and just torturing people for, for what they had, you know? Um, but back then... Um, I don't know what it was. It's almost like something was controlling me. You know, at times, like, you know, I could hear his voice, you know, um, would basically give me directions as to what to do, you know. Um, sometimes by just even listening to music, um, certain um, lyrics would influence me and how I um, went about my day, especially with uh, DMX, uh, Tupac, and 50 Cent, you know, just listening to this music. And, you know, when you hear these guys rap, you're like, man, this is exactly what you should be doing right now, you know? And you go about your day and you do exactly what the song is saying, right? So um, that got me into some serious trouble. Um, <laughs> where do I go? Uh, yeah. So I lost uh, one of my closest friends, um, Alvin. He was the first one, you know? Um, but it all started with... Uh, just just pure jealousy, you know. Um, we're selling drugs and, you know, young kid at 16, 17, you know, you have uh, pounds of marijuana and bricks of cocaine and women and just money, right? And you have these older guys who's who's been in the street for that long and they can't achieve any of that. So that brings in jealousy, mm. right? And um, I got into this beef with this one guy and for some reason he just, he didn't like me. You know, I was just too young to be shining, right? And um, this guy tried breaking a bottle in my face. He just started to fight for no reason. Um, so I left the I left the party. I went home. I bought myself a machete, brand new. Um, following day, I went and saw this one guy. Just like, hey man, could you just sharpen this for me real good? You know. And uh, as I asked her, so he did, so he did, right? Um, then uh, there was a soccer a soccer game because soccer is huge in the island soccer and cricket right and um, the, the, the field is just packed and like people are just everywhere and I could see this guy and he's got a crew of at least 15 guys and there's only the three of us right and um, I want to attack but something is just like man if you attack this guy right there like there's a possibility of you killing him in front of millions of people and not literally millions but you know what I mean um, and I didn't I didn't want to take that risk so I decided to go and wait for him in a different spot. And um, I've been waiting for like over an hour. 
And finally, I could hear them coming and they're talking about me and, you know, like the things that they want to do to me. And back in those days, my mentality was, if you bleed the same blood as me, the same things that you could do, I can do even better, right? Um, so anyways, these guys walk in and, you know, like just saying all kinds of things of what he's going to do to me. And at some point, I just, I don't know, I just, I saw black and again, this little voice just... Now that I'm living in Christ, I know it was the voice of the enemy. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, hey, man, like you should just go and just shoot this guy right now and kill him. So anyways, um, I didn't have a gun at the time, but I had a machete. So anyways, I took machete to this guy, and he's, he was paralyzed. Um, couldn't move his one hand. And um, so when, the, when that happened, um, got arrested, and bill was set for about $12,000. Um, yeah, my mom, my mom's poor. She couldn't afford it, but we have this one uncle who's rich, owns a resort and whatnot. Um, he came and, uh, he bailed me out and, um, this thing was going on for about a year. Right. And, and, um, I remember this very clearly one night, um, I was at home and there is a party going on and we've already made plans that we're going to go to this party. But for some reason, there is something that it just it's keeping me back. Like it just doesn't want me to go to this party, right? But anyways, my buddies came by. I was like, "Hey, man, like, are you ready to roll?" And I'm like, "Well, yeah, uh, just give me a minute, you know." And I just can't shake this thing off, you know. But anyways, I still end up going to the party. Um, as soon as we go to the party, we're smoking, drinking, just having a good time. And my one friend, he was like, "Hey, man, I'll be right back. I'm just gonna go across the street and um, I'll grab some drinks and." I'll be back within like, I don't know, 20, 30 seconds of him leaving us. All of a sudden, he just said four shots. Pop, 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 pop. Then I was just like, whoa. So then I crossed the street to see what was happening, and my buddy was just laying down in the pool of blood. He mm. just been shot. So um, then when I look, I look all around me, I could see our enemies, and I could just see this one guy just running down the street, which I assume was the shooter. But it was too late by then. I couldn't really do much, right? So um, I grabbed my buddy, um, put him at the back of a truck, drove him to the hospital. And by the time I got there, he was pronounced dead, right? And um, so when that happened, and um, that's when I was like, okay, um, you know, um, I need to protect myself a little more, you know? Um, but again, being poor and having no money, I was like, okay, then how am I going to, you know, get some firearms? So uh, there's this place in St. Lucia, it's called the Marina. Um, like most of the tourists, they go there, and the wealthy people, they live in that area, right? So um, I decided on a Friday night, I was just going to roam the place and kind of see what was happening. And um, I stumbled on this, uh, stumbled on a couple, and um, they looked wealthy, you know? And um, so I put my machete, and I took everything that they had. And uh, I think altogether it was like 45,000 euro. Um, so anyways, uh, took the possessions and, you know, laid low for like about a week or so. Ended up using that money to buy some guns and ammunition and just some heavy artillery just to protect ourselves, right? And um, so now that I have guns, um, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm like the baddest thing around now. You know, I'm untouchable, Right. Um, so a couple of years after my buddy, um, first buddy got shot, um, 
we have uh, we have a heavier connection now. You know, you meet different guys and you uh, acquiring different different firearms and whatnot. And it's like you're making a plan to execute, right? Um, but anyways, um, there's this one guy in particular um, that we were going to go see, and um, we were going to his house to pick up an AK-47. And that night, we were going to go on a killing spree. We were going to go and just kill every everyone that we had problem with. Um, so um, there was uh, three of us. Um, we were smoking weed, drinking lots of rum. Um, you know what cocoa puff is? Mix a little bit of powder in your weed and yeah, smoke it up. And your body's all numb. You don't feel no pain. And that's kind of you know, what it does to you, right? So, but anyways, um, in the process of doing that, um, so we we're sitting and we we're waiting on these guys to come get us to go to his house to pick up the uh, the AK-47. And um, whilst we're waiting, there's this gentle voice. And the voice is saying to me, it's like, you know what? It's not worth it. This is just a bad idea. You shouldn't even be going to this place. And and I'm like, man, what, what's really going on, right? So anyways, um, I went to this other guy who no one can see him. No one should know who he is and his whereabouts, right? So uh, his name was Archer. So he's in a hideout. So I went to him and I was like, hey, bro, like, I don't know, man. I'm just, I'm not feeling this. Something is up and I just can't wrap my finger around it. And he's like, yeah, bro, I'm, you know, I'm feeling the same thing, you know, like, you know, um, like we should just call this off and go some other time. I'm like, okay, you know, just give him a few minutes. I'm going to go talk to the head guy. That's like, I wouldn't say the head, but like, he's the one that has the connections, right? So um, I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to go talk to this guy and, you know, kind of see what he's saying. And just as I'm about to, to approach my friend and tell him, like, you know what, man, we're going to call this off. The vehicle that was supposed to pick us up just showed up. Um, then all of a sudden, all the excitement just came back into me. Mm. Man, these guys are here. Like, we're about to go get this AK-47, and I'm just, I'm pumped, right? So anyways, grabbed my buddy, three of us, we hopped into the vehicle, and we went to this guy's house. When we got to this guy's house, um, gave us some more weed and some more alcohol, and we're just chilling, smoking and drinking, and there again, the voice is there. You need to leave right now. You were in a very bad position. And I'm like, what is going on? So I asked my other buddies, I'm like, can you guys hear that? They're like, no, what are you talking about? I'm like, do you guys not hear a voice saying like, you know, we need to leave like right now? It's like, man, you're just paranoid. You're just high of weed and high of cocaine. And I'm like, no, bro, like I can hear the voice like loud and clear. So anyways, we ignored it because, you know, I'm like, well, maybe I'm just paranoid, whatever, right? And um, so we hopped into this vehicle and this guy is like, oh, um, we forgot to grab the AK-47. Give us a few more minutes. We'll be right back. And that's when everything, clue, I clued into everything that was going on. I was like, okay, wait a minute. This makes no sense. First of all, you came to get us. You didn't bring the AK-47. Secondly, this is your house. This is your neighborhood. So you should know where that firearm is. And you shouldn't have any trouble finding it, right? So anyways, we're in the vehicle. The vehicle is idling and the voice came back again. You're in trouble. Get out right now. I brushed the voice aside and I said, you know what? I'm already in it. It's already too late. Mm. Right? 
So I'm sitting in the middle, uh, one of my buddies in the right and one is in the left. And I have my firearm and it's just right between my legs. And this voice came back and it said, you need to turn around. So I turned and looking backwards and I could just see a bunch of guys. They just surrounding the vehicle and guns blazing and just pointed towards this car. So I looked at my two buddies. I said, yo, I think they're about to kill all of us right now. Didn't even know it was cops. Sure enough, um, the guy to the right, he got out of the car and he just started shooting. He's shooting and cops are shooting back at us, right? So the only thing I could do is to just lay flat right now in this vehicle. The buddy on the left, he came out of the vehicle and they're shooting at the cops. And for about a good 15 to 20 minutes, <laughs> I was just, you know, shots being fired and all of a sudden everything just, everything stopped. And this one cop came to the side and he was like, freeze, you're under arrest. So now I'm getting up and I'm surrendering. But the gun that I had, I already wiped it off of my pants and I already slid it like right under the front seat. Right. And um, so now I'm surrendering and I'm bringing myself up. And all of a sudden, this guy just shot at me twice. Got shot in the chest and one in my hand. Right. Grabbed me out, put me down in the ground, put his feet on my back and grabbed his shotgun. And he's like right in my face. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm about to die right now. And um, but then another cop came up to hear him. I was like, hey. I don't know what the cop said something to him, but then he asked, he's like, where are you from? I said, Margo. He's like, who's your mother? I said, Janet. He's like, Janet, Gigi's uh, sister? I said, yeah. He's like, man, today's your lucky day. Just get up. So anyways, I got up. Uh, they put me in the ambulance, took me to the hospital, and um, I stayed there for about uh, seven days because I, um, I needed surgery on my finger. And um, so after surgery... Um, they were supposed to take me down for questioning. But this officer who's supposedly, like he's the one that's responsible for me to take me back into uh, the station to get questioned. Um, so he's like, uh, so I guess um, you're heading home, right? I was like, yeah, I'm going home. Thank you for everything, right? And I'm halfway <laughs> out of the hospital and I don't know, just something inside of me is like, you know what, just do the right thing. Because right now I could have just ran away and he could have never seen me again. But I went back and he said, hey, man, uh, you're supposed to take me down because I believe they need to ask me a few questions. And this guy was, he was shocked. So anyways, he brought me in. Um, so I was locked up for about four uh, days and then um, went before the court and uh, bill was set again. This time it was for $150,000. Wow. Yeah. So my mom is in the courtroom and she's just bawling because she doesn't have that kind of money. And back then we, we didn't have any property or anything to our name to kind of, you know, get me out. Right. Um, so I think she went and spoke to my uncle. He came and um, he bailed me out. Um, so then I'm, I'm home now. You know, I'm, I'm injured. Like I'm leaning more towards the right because I just got shot in my chest on the right side. And I have this sling hanging one of my uh, my hands up and I'm just I'm leaning on the side right so two days after getting out of the hospital I have this one friend of mine um, there is this neighborhood it's called um, the graveyard um, I don't know why it's called the graveyard but anyways uh, yeah so this one buddy of mine who lives there we went to school together so I'm like you know what I'm gonna go see this guy and you know kind of like catch up with this guy smoke a joint with him and just kind of catch up right 
So as I'm at this guy's house, we're smoking dope, and now I'm, I'm just stoned. But this guy, he got a phone call. And it's almost like I can read what is going on between him and the other person and at the end of the line, right? And anyways, they're done on the call, and he went for a shower. He's like, you know what, man, I'll be right back. I'm like, yeah, no problem, bro. Take your time, no rush. So I just kind of like laid back on the couch, and I wasn't sleeping. It's more like I was in a... Um, I was just resting, right? And all of a sudden, I just I had this vision that three guys they want to just come and kick the door down and just start shooting at me. I woke up from the vision. I was like, "Oh my gosh, what's going on?" So, anyways, as soon as my buddy was done showering, I said, "You know what, bro? Um, I gotta go. You know, my girlfriend is waiting for me, and I'm kind of running behind time right now. So, maybe next time that you're in town, hit me up, and you know, we'll kind of connect." And he's like, yeah, man, no problem, bro. You know, and he looked at me. He's like, you know what, man, just be careful, bro. Like, be very, very careful. I looked at him. I said, yeah, I know. I already know what's going on. Um, so anyways, I left his house and started walking towards town. And while I'm walking now, there's these two guys who I knew, right? Um, on my way up, they saw me. Everything was good. But on my way back, for some reason... They called me by my street name, and it was just so loud and so obvious. And I'm like, that's weird, because when I first came in, you didn't greet me that loud, but when I'm leaving, you're calling my name out so loud. It was almost like they were they shouting my name to let the gunman know that, hey, this guy is approaching, right? Now, I already know that there is a setup waiting for me somewhere. I don't know where, and I don't know when it's going to happen. But that day, I had I just given up hope. I was like, you know what, man, after everything that I've been through, if today were to be my last day, I'm content with it, mm. right? So as I'm walking, uh, there's this little bridge, and you know, with a little river running right under. And all of a sudden, I got to the top of that bridge, and there was this fire that was just burning, bro. The fire was so hot that I could not ignore that fire, Right? And I'm like, okay, what is going on? Burning where? In my back, right? It's burning in my back. And I'm like, okay, what is going on? It's just so hot, right? So I kept walking and all of a sudden the fire just got hotter. And I'm just stopping my tracks to the point where it's almost like it's burning my flesh, right? And I stop and I turn around. <laughs> and I turn, there's a guy, he's probably standing there about three to four feet away from me. The guy is carrying a revolver. Is wearing a mask, and I panic. Open up my hands, and this guy shot at me like three times. Pop, pop, pop. And out of fear, I looked around and I saw this one woman. I grabbed this lady and I kind of like just shoved her towards him to kind of like distract him a little bit so I could have enough time to get out of there because I'm injured, right? And so anyways, I shoved the woman towards him and I started running and I could just hear another three shots like pop, pop, pop. Anyway, I kept running and I got to somewhere safe and I pulled all my clothes off of me to see if I got hit and <laughs> took all my clothes off and touching myself and my body's numb, just the adrenaline, right? There is no bullet wounds. Um, I'm not bleeding. I'm like, oh my gosh. So anyways, I ran home and I'm telling my mom the story. I'm like, I don't know what it is, but there's just this fire. 
And my mom's like, oh, it's um, God is protecting you. You know, maybe it was an angel. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm telling you there is a fire burning in my back. Shots fired at me. And the only thing that you're saying is that there probably was an angel or God is protecting me. Right? So anyways, um, the following day, um, you know, there's a little blue little Gideon Bibles. Yeah. yeah. My mom gave me one of these, you know. Um, and my favorite scriptures were uh, Psalms 91, Psalms 27, and Psalms uh, 51. And I would pray that every single day from the time I wake up until I went to bed. I would pray that every day, right? So now the war is hot now. You know, um, there's a bunch of guys that are involved and a bunch of guys who want to kill me now, right? So I'm working, uh, so I wasn't working yet. Um, so now that I'm healed, um, there is rumors that there is a group of guys who are looking to basically kill me. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? Like, what have I done so much, right? So anyways, um, one day I'm, I'm on top of, I'm on, I'm on my block. And the name of the block was D Block, right? Um, it's just me. I'm just hanging out and smoking dope. And this one guy, he approached me. And um, he's like, hey, man, I'm looking for this one guy. Um, he goes by the name Coco or Stokes. And I'm like, oh, yeah? Uh, no, I haven't seen this guy. And I know what you're talking about, Right. He's like, well, anyways, man, you know, some guys paid me, you know, to, to kill this guy, and I'm having a hard time finding this guy. So I said, well, you know what, man, here's what I can do for you. Um, leave me your number, and when I do see this guy, I could text you or call you and let you know. He's like, yeah, sure, man, I appreciate it, bro, right? So this guy gave me his number, and he took off. So I went home, and I grabbed my piece, because the guy's looking for me. So then I phoned him, I said, bro, the guy you were asking about, and the guy you just talked to is the same person that you're looking for. This guy came back and he surrendered. He said, man, you know what, bro? I don't want anything with you, man. I'm sorry. He said, as a matter of fact, man, this guy paid me $5,000. Here's what I'll do. I'll keep the money and I'll just pretend that I'm looking for you. But just consider we have no beef. I said, yeah, no problem. He said, you better not come back because the next time you come back, it will be me looking for you, right? So anyways, buddy left, right? And there's rumors, you know, of a vehicle driving up and down with around 15 to 20 guys just looking for me. But while these guys, they're up and down looking for me, I'm on the street, right? But for some reason, they just they couldn't see me, right? Um, until one day, um, this one guy, a really close friend of mine, um, he came up to me, said, bro, you know, the one time, you know, I saw a vehicle drive by with about 15 guys in it looking for you and whatnot. And it's almost like I could see you across the street and I see the vehicle drive by. And these guys actually came out of the vehicle and looking for you, but you're like, you're right there. I said, that's weird because I didn't see them, but everyone saw them, right? Mm. And he said, what happened was it's almost like there was this massive thing just standing behind me. And all of a sudden, when those guys drove up, a set of wings just went right over me and covered me. That's what this guy said. Yeah, that's what this guy was saying, right? Even him, like after the, the thing covered me, all of a sudden, like he couldn't see me no more. And then all of a sudden, the guys left and there I was again. I was like, I don't recall any of that, right? 
But back then, I'm, I'm gangbang, and I don't know anything about that, right? So, But you said your mom gave you a Gideon Bible, so did you kind of grow up with some kind of, like, like some kind of knowledge of God type thing? Well... Or belief? Well, you see, St. Lucia is mostly uh, Roman Catholic. Okay. Most of the islands, anyways. It's uh, Roman Catholic, right? Um, so there's a belief in God, well, largely. Yeah, belief in God that, you know, that there is God and that Jesus died and that Mary is the mother of God. And uh, most of the prayers was the Hail Mary. Okay. Mary, Mother of God, pray for us now, sinners. Yeah. You know how that goes, right? But you had no bearing for the fact of the voice that you heard was the Lord speaking to you? No, no, nothing like that. You know, um, at some point, I even thought it was um, my grandpa. Because mm. my grandpa just passed away. I thought maybe, you know, one of my ancestors, right? Um, so anyways, um, one day I'm, I'm just on the block and um, I got this phone call from a resort, Sandals. Like, hey, we'd like to call you in for an interview. I'm like, interview? Had you applied there? No, right? So I'm like, interview? I'm like, I don't recall sending a resume in to you guys. He's like, well, back then my name was Vanel. He's like, until Vanel sent quoi? I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, we have your resume right in front of us. I was like, okay, um, when do you want me to come in for this interview? So anyways, I went to the interview and the very same day I got the job. But I'm still confused. So back then, um, I'm dating this girl who is my wife right now. And um, so I messaged her and I was like, hey, did you send a resume into Sandals? No. So I called my sister. No. Called my mom. No. I'm like, okay, well, this is weird. But anyways, I'm working at Sandals. I'm making money. And to me, my life is about to change, right? So anyways, while I'm working at Sandals, um, I met this Canadian couple young guy and his girlfriend at the time and um, they were stuck at the resort and I said you know what um, I'm off in two days how about you guys join me I'd like to show you you know what St. Lucia has to offer you know because in, in the resort they basically just show you you know the beach and you know the swimming pools and you know what they want you to see yeah but I took this guy out of his comfort zone and we went around the island and you know did a bunch of uh, boat tours and, and stuff like that right how how were they stuck? Like flight canceled or? No, they weren't stuck. Oh, okay. I thought they you said they were the, stuck. They, no, were, they were in the resort. But like when I said stuck at the resort, it's just like. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can't leave the resort and do anything else unless you actually go with the resort. Yeah, so right? pina coladas in the pool. Yeah, pretty much and margaritas and strawberry <laughs> yeah. apples and yeah. you, know, you go eat whatever food that the, the resort is giving you, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so anyways, um, at the end of the trip, um, this guy called me up. And we're chatting and whatnot. And he's like, you know what, man? Here's my number. You know, um, if you ever, you know, decide that, you know, you want to come to Canada and see what Canada is like, you know, um, you have my number, hit me up, and I'll be more than happy to return the favor. Mm-hmm. Back then, I have no passport, no desire to travel whatsoever, right? So anyways, um, I took his information, I gave him mine or whatever, and went home. Three days later, I had this dream. And in this vision... I saw myself that I was going to leave St. Lucia and go into a foreign country. Um, And when I returned to St. Lucia, I had such power and authority. But anyways, I woke up from this dream and I'm like, hey, man, it's just a dream. It's whatever. You know what I mean? So four months later, I lost my job at the resort. And uh, because I was coming to work just always high and that kind of stuff, right? So anyways, I'm, I'm going through some stuff that I have in my room and I ran into the number that this guy had given me. 
So I call him up and he's like, hey, man, this is my situation now. I just lost my job. And, you know, is there any way that you could help and send some cash and just, you know, a little something that would help out, right? And this man said to me, well, you know, how about you go uh, pay a ticket and come to Canada? You know, I'm a contractor. There's lots of work, you know. Um, you could come here, make some money and help your family and whatnot. I'm like, see what? <laughs> I was like, okay, you know what? Give me some time. Let me think about this. So I went home and I told my mom about the situation. And she's like, what are you waiting for? I'm like, well, I ain't, I ain't got no passport. Where am I going, right? So anyways, um, fast track, got my passport. I'm in Canada. Came in Canada uh, December 4th, 2008. And when I first moved here, we lived in Ajax, right? And so now I'm working for this guy. And I worked for this guy for a year and a half. And never got paid. This guy never paid me, bro. <laughs> One cent, bro. For a year and a half. For a year and a half, yeah. And everyone is like, well, why did you stay and work for this guy for a year and a half? I said, I don't know. I just, something was just like, you know what, man, things will get better. And then finally I had enough. And so he must have been feeding you or giving you room and board? Well, yeah, I live with the guy. I had a roof over my head. Uh, there was food in the house. Um, I had clothes uh, to wear and stuff like that, you know? It's not like I was just on the street, right? Yeah. So um, it's almost like I was giving him labor and I had a place to stay with food on the table and that kind of stuff. Right. right. If you ask me, that's like, that's slavery, bro. But that's a different, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like it, dude. Yeah, bro. <laughs> but that's a different story, man. Uh, but anyways, um, I got frustrated and um, I called my mom. I said, hey, I need to um, I need to come home. So my mom paid a ticket for me and I went back to St. Lucia. Um, two months into me being in St. Lucia, the other guy, because there's, there's three of us, right? The other guy, like one of my best friends, you know, we we're hanging out and whatnot. And um, this guy's like, hey, man, like, you know what, bro, I'm, I'm going to be high up on the block. And, you know, I'll be smoking a joint. If you want to join, you could come in. And I'm like, you know what, bro, I think I'm good, man. I'll pass. And this voice was like, you need to leave. Go home. Go eat something. And I'm like, but I'm stuffed. Like I already ate. I'm not hungry. And this voice is like, no, just trust me. There's just something about the voice. Like, it's just so, I don't know how to explain it, man. But I was always listening to that voice. It wasn't like the other voice where, you know, like, oh, you know, grab your machete or grab your pistol and go do this. No. It was just soft and just soothing. And, but I'm listening to this voice. So anyways, I went home and I'm eating. And, but I'm forcing myself to eat. And my sister is there and she's, she's complaining that, you know, oh, we didn't leave any food for her. And I'm like, what are you talking about? There is enough right here for two, right? So anyways, I gave her the rest of the food and I decided to go back up the road, right? So as I'm walking up, just one of the young fellows from the neighborhood, he's running down towards my house and he's like, yo, they just shot Bishop. And I'm like, what do you mean they just shot Bishop? I just saw Bishop like a few minutes ago. And second of all, I didn't hear no gunshot. What are you talking about? He's like, yeah, they just shot Bishop like four times. What? So anyways, so I'm running up the road now because like Bishop, like he was the last one, right? Um, run up the road and her Bishop is just lying on the ground. And when I got closer, I was like, Bishop, like he heard my voice and he's like, he's trying to answer, right? But I don't know how to explain it, man. Like now my mind is just going a thousand miles per hour and I look all around me and I could just see the enemies, you know, the guys that we had 
beef with. Mm. They all stand in there and now I'm just like, okay, whoa, it's only me left. What am I going to do? Right? So anyways, I, uh, we called the ambulance, uh, got Bishop on the ambulance, took him to the hospital. When he got there, obviously he's pronounced dead, right? And now, man, like, I, I'm ready to lose my mind. You know, um, right back into the heavy drinking and the smoking and I'm living my, my life on the run, you know. Um, and I remember just one day I said, God, why me? Why did you have to take all of my friends and not me? I was the one who started all of this thing. But all of my friends are gone and here I am, right? And nothing, man, nothing, right? And then um, my sister gave birth to this little boy and I was like, man, that's, that's messed up. You know, I, I can't be doing, living that kind of lifestyle in front of my nephew. You know, I don't want him to see that stuff, right? So um, so I decided to join the cruise ship and go work for, uh, on the cruise ship, right? So um, I went on the cruise ship and I did uh, a nine-month contract. And my contract was up after nine months. Um, now I'm back in St. Lucia. And the only other choice right now is to go back and live the same life that I left behind, Right. And for some reason, I was in Facebook and just scrolling for Facebook. And there's a message from a friend of mine, Danielle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she's like, hey, um, it's Danielle and Mark. You know, um, remember us from the last time that you were here in Canada? Uh, anyways, we bought a house in Peterborough. And there's a little bit of renovation, a little bit of work that needs uh, to be done in the house. Um, if you could come up and help out, it would be great. If not, we totally understand. So I'm looking at the date of the message, and it's like eight, nine months ago. And I'm like, wow, I already missed my chance. I can't do anything to that, right? So I still end up just replying, be like, hey, I'm sorry. I was working in the cruise ship, no Wi-Fi. I didn't have any internet or anything like that. I couldn't do anything, right? And she replied. She's like, hey, the offer still stands. If you want to come up and help us, you know, we'd appreciate it. We'd help you with the flight and everything. So I call my mom, and I'm, told, I'm telling my mom about that. Bro, the following day, my mom came down with, like, a suitcase full of my clothes and everything, ticket paid, and <laughs> I have, like, a week to leave St. Lucia and come back to Canada. So I was a little skeptical because of my first experience with this uh, this one guy, right? Yeah. So anyways, uh, I decided I'm going to take, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. So I came back to Canada. I think I got here, it was, like, probably midnight, right? So I walk up to this custom officer, and... Um, He's looking at my passport and just asking me like random little questions, right? Have you been to Canada before? Yep. And how long ago was that? I'm answering his questions, right? And then all of a sudden he's like, well, it looks like you were here for like a year and a half and you didn't leave Canada when they asked you to the first time. I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I extended my stay the first, uh, the first, after the first six months. And I tried extending my stay again, but uh, they denied me and they asked me to leave, but I didn't have the money to pay my ticket to go back home on time. I mean, the guy was just rude, man. And just, I think he was just having a bad day, right? And the guy's like, well, guess what? I'm not letting you in the country. Step aside, have a seat over there. I'm sending you back home. So now I'm, I'm feeling down. Mm. Um, it's like midnight and I'm tired and I just, I just need a bed. Right, but this guy's telling me no. We're sending you back to Saint Lucia. I was like, okay, whatever. So, 
an hour went by and then he's like, you know what? Um, it's kind of late. Um, there is no flights going back to St. Lucia right now. So we're going to put you into detention and the following morning we'll come get you and see if we have a flight and take you to St. Lucia. And it's like, okay, no problem. So anyways, they brought me to this place in, um, in Yorkdale. Yorkdale? I think it's Yorkdale area. Anyways, um, detention center. I walked in there, man, and there's a bunch of young guys and, and stuff. And I'm like, okay, like, what's going on here? Like, right? So anyways, morning came by. Um, they came to pick me up and um, brought me back to the airport. And I was there for like three hours. And then this guy's like, I can't seem to find a, fi- a flight to send you back to St. Lucia. So we'll have to bring you back to the detention center because by now it's about noon and they're having lunch right now. So you could grab something to eat and whatnot and then we'll come back and get you around five o'clock and see if we could get a flight. But you had people that were obviously, were they picking you up at the airport? Yeah, but uh, the custom officer had already told them that we're not letting him in. Okay. So they had to go back home because in their, in their head, this guy's going back to St. Lucia. Yeah. There's no way of him getting into the country, right? So anyways, uh, immigration tried three times and they couldn't find a flight to go back to St. Lucia. So now I'm back at the detention center. I'm on day three now. And um, there's this lady, bro. I could still remember her. Um, Custom officer, long black hair, just beautiful, bro. And this woman approached me and she said, if you want to get into the country, this is how you do it. She handed me a bunch of papers. She even took her time and helped me fill out the paperwork. And she said, here's what I will do for you. I will drop it off at the courthouse because in this building, there's, there's a courthouse and everything right there, right? Um, she said, I'll drop it off at the courthouse and then um, they will send you a piece of mail or they'll call you down and then you'll go from there. But I don't even know this woman. And out of all of the guys that's there, why me, right? So anyways, um, she did that and she went on her ways, right? And I was in there for 15 days, bro. And I only saw this woman once, right? So uh, you could make, I think it's collect calls because there's this little pay phone. You just dial a local Toronto number and you could make a call, right? That's old school. (laughs) 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 So anyways, uh, I had a cousin of mine that lived in Toronto and I was like, hey, I can't call all the way to Peterborough. I could only call in the Toronto area. Here is a number. Call these people. Let them know that I'm still in Canada, but I'm in detention center. Not Yorkdale, Rexdale. It's what it's called. Rexdale. Okay, yeah, right by the airport. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm like, tell them I'm still in Canada and I haven't left yet. So anyways, so my cousin, Nadia and Danielle, those people are talking to each other and Nadia is telling me what they're saying and whatnot, right? And all of a sudden, my cousin got me a lawyer and um, I think uh, night 15, because 15 days, right? So nighttime came in. 15 days, you're in detention? Detention, yeah, bro. Man, it's a prison, bro. Is it? Yeah, I was going to ask you, what is that like? Is it, it's like a prison or? It, it's a prison for, for, um, for immigrants. You got, you got your own rooms or are you all uh, like in well, a... You have a room you share with three other guys. So four guys to a room. Uh, you have half an hour for break, half an hour for lunch to go run around. Six o'clock, television off. You shower, brush your teeth, and you're in bed. Six at night? Yeah, bro. It's literally prison, bro. 
you know, fence and everything. There is there is a section for females to men. You know, I saw this one lady with a daughter, bro. That broke my heart. I was like, man, it's a kid, bro. Like, seriously, you could at least, you know, let the, let the lady and the daughter go through. You know what I mean? But anyways, um, so nighttime came by and... And I'm just pacing, you know, just walking all about. And I saw this blue Gideon Bible. And I'm like, man, I know this book. I know exactly what to do. Mm. Right? So I grabbed this book and I went into a corner in um, Psalms 91, Psalms 27, Psalms 51. I just started praying that, bro. Right? So then I went to bed, not expecting anything, bro. And um, I had this vision, man. And in this vision, I could just see this bright light just shining. And it's almost like, you know, I got to block it. Like, you know, it's just so bright, right? And um, I heard his voice said to me, Omega sent me. I said, what? So back home, I know this guy, Rastaman, Long Dreads. They call him Omega. Like, we're close friends, right? So when the voice was like, Omega sent me, Man, I got all excited. I'm like, yeah, where's Omega? And he said, I'm going to take you to him, but I need you to do something for me. I was like, what is it? He said, I'm going to send something your way. I need you to pick it up and follow me. I said, yeah, for sure. Let's do it. So he rolled something towards me. By the time it got to me and I picked it up, it was a pencil, unsharpened pencil. And I looked up and the light was gone. And then I woke up. And I'm like, dang. <laughs> Man, that was just a dream, bro. Wow. Right? It's morning time now, right? And now I'm disappointed. I'm like, whatever, man. You know? And um, all of a sudden, uh, the patrol officer came by. Mr. Senqua? Yep, that's me. Pack your stuff. You're getting out of here. I said, say what? Yeah, bro. I was like, I think you have the wrong name, man. He's like, no. Vanel Senqua, right? I was like, yeah. Man, my heart is pacing, bro. So anyways, this guy, um, packed, I packed up my stuff and then this guy bring me down to the courthouse. So I got to the courthouse and I could see Danielle and Mark, they're waiting for me in the courthouse. So we had a short little court session, right? And um, again, I'm put on bail for this time it was $10,000 and how uh, you call that again when you put your house or your property towards uh, the bill? Like a lien? Yeah, like a lien, right? So a $10,000 lien against Daniel's property and $3,000 in cash. It's just so I could, they would let me in into Canada. And, um, so they had to pay? Yeah, they had to pay to get me out. But you hadn't, why? Because you didn't leave the country before? Was because it the, of the first time, yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. So this time, if they would ask me to leave, Danielle would be responsible Okay. To make sure yeah. that I went back home. If not, she was $15,000 total, right? Oh, they put a lien. Okay, I get yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, um, so now I'm I'm out and just a relief, man. I'm just, you know, like, man, after all of that 15 days in there, like just garbage food. And so I'm like, you know what, man, can we just stop at McDonald's? I just, I need to get something different, right? So anyways, we ate, we went home and, man, I'm living my life and I'm partying in the clubs and, you know, sleeping with random women and all that kind of stuff, right? And, um, one day, um, I said, you know what, I'm going to go to the gym just to go work out. And um, I'm at the gym and I'm working out and um, I ran into Gabriel. So Gabriel came up to me and back then I was wearing uh, this uh, rosary. Gabriel came up to me and he's like, did you know, do you know Jesus? I said, yeah, I know who Jesus is. He's like, 
who's Jesus to you? And you know, I was young and just cocky, my buddy, you know. And then, so now Gabriel is preaching to me and telling me about the rosary, how it's, you know, it's demonic and that's just a Catholic way of doing things and whatnot, right? But, you know, my heart wasn't ready to receive Christ, right? So every time I saw Gabriel, I would kind of just like run away from him and like, you know, like, hey man, I need to stay away from this guy. This guy is always about a Jesus this and a Jesus that, you know, I have no time for that right now, you know? I just want to party and, you know, have fun, Right. Anyways. So your your heart was thick, eh, bro? Because after the voices and the Bible and but bro, you see the thing is, I don't even when it comes to the voices and the visions and all of that kind of stuff, I still have no idea what any of that means. Right? Yeah. So yeah. I'm still living in the world, right? And I'm still smoking dope and still drinking, yeah. right? And even like when Gabriel is telling me all that stuff, like to me, like none of that means nothing at that point, right? And um, so anyways, fast forward, I'm dating this one girl. We didn't, we've been dating for like three to four years now. We went to Mex- uh, Mexico on a trip for a wedding. And um, I think two days before we had to fly out of Mexico, I had this dream again. I don't know why, I just I, I have a lot of dreams, right? And in this dream, this girl and I, we were breaking up. And it was bad, right? And... So anyways, I woke up from the dream and look around me. The girl is laying beside me in the bed. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's just another crazy dream, bro. It's just whatever. So I grabbed this girl, you know, and whatever, right? Four days after we got back from Mexico, the exact same way it happened in the dream was the exact same way everything was unfolding right in front of me. This girl and I, we had got into this argument and anyway, she packed up her stuff and she left. Back then, I'm working for the break, and um, it was a Saturday. I got home, and half of the stuff from the apartment is gone. And I was just like, you know what, man? I'm super pumped. I'm, I'm ready to go hit the clubs up. And uh, so anyways, I walk into my bedroom to go get changed, and all of a sudden, bro, man, the air, just the atmosphere in the bedroom, everything just changed, man. Every hair on my body stood up, and... All of a sudden, I went down on my knees and I said, okay, God, what do you want from me? For way too long, you've been after me. What do you want from me? And I just heard the voice loud and clear. And he used to take all your jewelry off and go see Andrew. I'm like, Andrew, Andrew Shatran? Yeah. So anyways, I call Andrew up. I said, hey, bro, what are you doing? Hey, bro, I'm just waiting for you. Man, that freaked me right out. Wow. Yeah, bro, that freaked me right out. I'm like, what do you mean you're waiting for me, bro? He's like, oh, you'll know. So anyways, I went by. As soon as I got to Andrew's house, bro, and I opened up the door, bro. There was worship music playing, bro. A wind, bro. Just a rushing wind just like came up the stairs, bro. And that just hit me, bro, in my face. I fell down to the floor. And, man, I was just weeping. Just crying, bro. Just crying out to God, bro. Um, Man, it started off with just like all I saw was just this darkness. And I saw this tiny tiny little fireball just making it way through the darkness and the closer it got the brighter everything got and the fire was the fire was overtaking the darkness inside of me to the point where all of a sudden it was a burst of flames bro and i stood up and i roared like a lion man and all of a sudden i just fell back and i passed out then i got up and 
man, I was weak. I said to Angel, I'm going to go home and try to get something to eat. And um, I got home, bro. I went straight to bed. Following morning, I woke up and I got down on my knees and I just wanted to give God thanks. And I went to go pray. And bro, this weird language just started coming out of my mouth. And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. So I called Andrew. I'm freaking out. I'm like, bro, what did you do to me, bro? He's like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, bro, I'm trying to pray in English, bro. And this weird language is coming out of my mouth. I don't even know what it's saying. I don't even know what it means. So Andrew is laughing. He's like, don't worry, bro. You'll find out soon enough, right? So anyways, uh, a day later, I had a vision. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to get into a car accident. Boom, 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 bro. Everything in the dream took place, one after the other. Now I lost my job. I don't have a vehicle. I'm in this apartment and for 10 months straight, bro. Nowhere to go, nothing to do. And all of my savings, I had to use it up to pay rent, put food on the table. And there is a King James Version Bible sitting there. And I would pass this thing like, nope, I'm not reading that. Nope, I'm not reading that. Let me just see what it says. You know, yeah, no, that's not for me. Uh, actually, you know, let's read a different, you know, a different book. And then when I get into something that I like, I was like, oh, this is cool. And then I started reading. And the more I started reading, bro, I, like, I just, I saw things differently. Right? And then one day I'm in this room and I said, Lord, why do you have to make me go through so much? Why me? Why did you, why did you do this to me? You know? And I'm sitting in a in a um, computer chair, my hands behind my head, and all of a sudden, man, I'm taken down memory lane. And God is showing me everywhere that He was with me, bro. From when the guys were looking looking for me in the vehicle, you know, and my friend was saying that all of a sudden the angel wings that was angels protecting me, bro. To when you know this guy is standing three feet behind me with a revolver, that was God, man, the fireman. Um, to me, the, even the job at the resort, yeah. bro, that was all God, bro. That wasn't man. Uh, even the lady at the detention center, bro, that wasn't just no normal person. I don't know. That was God, and God was just showing me everywhere in my life that I went wrong. He was there, man. I just started crying, and I said, Lord, a sinner like me, Lord, gang banging, drugs abuse, you know, abusing women. And all that kind of stuff. Why me? And up to a day like today, man, I never got an answer for that. But I'm thankful that God came and he saved me. Um, if it wasn't for God today, I don't know where I would be. Probably dead, in jail. I don't know. Right? But you know why? <laughs> Your precious son, man. Yeah. yeah. God is good, man. He's faithful. Um but now that I, I see things differently and, and the more I read the word of God, um, you know, there is a scripture that says that, you know, um, we don't choose Christ. Christ chooses us, you know. Um, so, you know, just to anyone who, who might be listening to that, you know, um, we all have a purpose, you know. There is a reason why we are alive, you know. Um, I have attempted suicide. And at times I wish I had a shotgun to just put it right up to my chin and blow my head off. That's before I gave Christ my life. But, you know, I find a purpose, man. You know, um, women, drugs, alcohol, guns, whatever, you name it. Man, I had it all. But there was just something I was missing. I wasn't happy. I was still bitter, miserable. You know, I had a lot of anger, 
a lot of unforgiveness and hatred towards a lot of people. But when I give Christ my life, man, it's almost like a burden was lifted off of me. And I could have seen, man, I saw things differently. You know? Yeah. So God changed my life. And um, one day, man, I'm laying in bed. I mean, um, how do you call it again? Uh, it's almost like you're sleeping, but you're not. You're sleeping, but you're, you're awake, kind of like, right? Yeah. And, um, and all of a sudden, this voice, I could feel like someone is standing right in front of me. And his voice is like, Joshua, you need to get up. We need you. And I'm half asleep, right? But I'm like still saying because I could, I could know what's going on. I'm like, my name is Joshua. My name is Vanel. No. You will no longer be called Vanel. As of today, your name is Joshua. Mm. Bro, I wrote that down and I shared it with probably Gabriel and Andrew and that was about it. I never told anyone about that, right? So a year and a half went by. And um, there was this girl I was talking to, like just getting to know her and whatnot, right? And one day we met up with Gabriel and this other guy for coffee. And this girl said something, and man, the whistles were just going in my head. What she said was, you know, sometimes God gives us a new identity in Christ Jesus, but it's up to us to walk in that new identity. And the moment you start walking in that new identity that he has given us, then everything will fall into place. And bro, I felt convicted. I went home and I opened up this book because I remembered that, you know, that name change thing right there. Yeah. And I said, oh my gosh. So I went down on my knees. I said, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord, because I refuse to accept the name Joshua. Right, because uh, Vanel it was very unique, and Vanel was like green and flourishing. I like this name, man. It was cool, right? So I started praying. I said, "Lord, I I really love the name Vanel. You know, like, why do I have to give up that name?" So one day, you know, I heard the audible voice: "The old man is gone. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Everything that is attached to the name Vanel has to die, in order for the new man to come." And man, I just started crying. Bro, two days later, man, I went everywhere. Service Ontario, everywhere. Just like, I need to I need to change my name. How do I go about doing that? And so anyways, I did what I had to do. I got a certification with the name change and everything. And man, honestly, bro, from the time I changed that name from Vanel to Joshua, man, so many doors has opened up for me. And I'm not saying that to, to, to brag or anything. I'm humble about it. But um, certain places I go, man, the favor of God. It's just there, bro. You know, um, blessings on top of blessings, bro. Um, and sometimes I, 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 I still look at myself in the mirror and I said, but what about this guy? What about me? You know, out of all of my friends that got shot and killed, why me? Why did you choose me out of everyone? What is it that you want from me? God doesn't need me, but he wants me. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, it, you know, the struggle is real, you know, um, and I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm this perfect uh, Christian that follows Christ, uh, you know, to the T. You know, I have my, my sleep ups, you know, um, but man, one thing that I'll tell you, it was the hardest, well, no, it was the best decision that I've ever made in my life, but it's one of the the hardest walks that I've ever had to take, bro. Because the walk with Christ, 
it's an everyday thing. You know, every day of just self-denial, like, you know, just just dying to yourself and trusting in the Lord and knowing that regardless of what the day looks like, God has already planned that day for you, right? Um, so if I would encourage anyone that is listening, anyone that is out there, you know, um, it will probably be one of the best decisions that you'll ever make in your life. One of the hardest works. He never promised us that it would be easy. Yeah. But he did promise us that he'll never leave us, nor forsake us. Right? When things seem to be like all down and like, you know, like, okay, well, you know, God, I gave you my life and look where I am right now and nothing seems to be happening for me and whatnot. Just be patient. Be still. And know that he is God. If he's carried you that far, he's not going to leave you now. He's going to take you till the end. Yeah. Right? So, um, but anyways, you know, um, with all of this being said, you know, the Lord has blessed me with, you know, new opportunities. Uh, he's blessed me with my wife. Um, and right now a new door has opened up for me um, to, to further my career and whatnot, which I told you about. So um, I'm just very thankful for everything that God has done for me and uh, what he's still doing in my life. The people that he has put around me, you know, um, great group of friends, you know, and um, yeah, God is good and he's faithful. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I could say right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And man, you've, you've shared your faith too. You've, you've been, you know, we've, we've gone out and, and just shared with people and you've yeah. had opportunities at your work with coworkers. Like you, you wear, you're walking with Jesus, right? And yeah. Yeah. And and you've been able to share a little bit with some of your coworkers mm-hmm. as you can. Yeah, like um, when I worked at McCloskey, you know, um, sometimes like you know, just sitting down with the guys and having lunch with them, and you know, some of the things that they would say, and I'll tell them straight up, like, man, you need Jesus, bro. <laughs> no, seriously, man, straight up like that, bro. You know, like, man, you need Jesus, bro. You know, and these guys are like, yeah, hey, no, I don't need Jesus. This one guy would be like, oh, I have no soul. I'm a redhead. Uh, this one guy would say, you know, if I walk into church, you know, I'll just catch on fire. I said, no, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. That's the devil talking to you right now, you know. And it got to the point where I had to be careful because, you know, this one guy made a comment, you know, like he could go into HR and, 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 and consider it a harassment. And then that's when I kind of... I took a step back. I'm like, whoa, okay, you know what? I need to be careful what I say here now, right? But at the end of the day, I don't care. I'm bold now, you know. Uh, before you, I wouldn't, I wasn't that kind of person. But from the time I, you know, I gave Christ my life, I just, I had, I have this boldness in me, you know. And we've been down, you know, like you said, on the streets and sharing the gospel to some people and whatnot, you know. Um, I'll tell it to anyone, anytime, any day. You know, as long as God opened up my mouth and asked me to speak, I'll speak. I don't care who you are, right? Because at the end of the day, I am not here to please men, like Paul tells us. Our wisdom is not found in men, but in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Right? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, and I'm hoping to continue, like, you know, sharing my journey with people and, 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 and sharing the good news with some people. You know, everywhere I go, bro, it doesn't matter who you are, you know. I will share the gospel. I will tell you about Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Yeah, come on. Yeah. You know I mean, if you have time, I'll tell you, okay, you grab a pen and paper, you know, let me tell you my story. Sometimes I just have to share one story with some people, man. And there's this young kid before I left uh, McCloskey there, um, just started working with us. And uh, I was chatting with this guy and I said, bro, you think I came here and, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I got it good, bro? He said, let me tell you a story, man, of how hard things have been for me. He said, you know racism in, this, in Peterborough, bro? how tough it was with me. And I shared a little story with this guy and 
my last day at McCloskey, this guy came up to me and he said, you know what, Joshua, thank you for everything. Thank you for showing me um, how to weld. Thank you for sharing your story with me. It really opened up my eyes because he was he's 18 from Havelock. And, you know, thank you for showing me how how racism affects people like you of your, you know, your skin color and stuff like that. Right. And I said, bro, you know, some, you know, racism isn't born. It's taught. Yeah. So um, whatever people have said to you in, in, in regards to, to, to people of color, whether it's black, yellow, brown, whatever, you know, remove that from your mind, you know, and, and, and view them differently. Because at the end of the day, we all have the same blood. Yeah. You know, see, the thing is, you know, people, they hear that stuff in their house, like mom and dad or friends or whatever talking about it. That's how, I mean, you put two kids, you know, of different color in the same room. What do you think is going to happen? They play. They play. They they won't see no exactly until someone comes and's like, "Whoa, this person over there is black, and this person, you know, you're this, and and then it's that's all it is. It's being taught. No one is born racist, bro. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Joshua, man, if you uh, we're we're running out of time here, my friend. Um, if you had an opportunity right now to talk to someone who's starting to get into a gang. Mm-hmm. What would you share with them about what you know? Oh, man. What I would say to them is um, it's not worth it, man. Because um, you're just going to be living your life in fear, the unknown, not knowing what to expect, right? Um, getting locked up, being shot at, and losing people that are close to you, man, it is not worth it. I would say to that person, you know what, man, instead of picking up a gun... How about you grab the Bible, you know, um, forgive those, these and those who have done you wrong because love keeps no record of wrongdoing and love covers a multitude of sins, right? So whatever that this person has done to you that you feel like, you know, you need to join a gang in order to go and solve your problem, man, pick up the Bible, bro. God is waiting for you on the other side and um, don't go down the road that I went. It's not worth it, man. I wish I had those years that I wasted in gangbanging. I wish I could make up for it, but I can't, unfortunately. Yeah. So that would be my advice to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So. Thanks for sharing that story with us. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. You know, um, Like the Bible says, you know, it's by your testimonies that you're going to win the souls, right? And there's someone out there who's probably you know, going through some things that I went through in life and maybe just by listening to this, you know, um, it might strengthen them and give them a different perspective of life, you know. Yeah. Maybe, you know, it, they're about to go pull a trigger and, you know, and something is talking to them. Listen to that voice. Yeah. This is the voice of the Lord saying something to you. Don't do it, bro. Don't pull that trigger. You know? Amen. Yeah. So. Yeah. Thanks, Joshua. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me, bro. Appreciate it. Yeah. Listen to that voice. Listen to that voice. Like Joshua said, the Lord was always there. Pointing it out to him. Flashbacks. I was always there, and he is with you.